If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. If you did not bring a Bible with you, there's one in front of you, and I really encourage you to grab a hold of one, open it up to the New Testament that's towards the back. And uh, we have been walking through the book of Romans as a church. Uh, we believe in the authority of Scripture. We prioritize God's Word. We're a Word-centered church. And um, so it's through His Word that He speaks to us. And today, we're moving forward to a new chapter, chapter 11, but we're continuing the same argument that Paul has been addressing for the last couple chapters. He began a new argument in chapter 9, and the question was about Israel. What are we to make of Israel? Many believed, many did come to believe that Jesus is Messiah, but then basically where Paul is arguing from, there are so many who didn't believe. There were so many Jews who chose not to believe. And then today, fast forward 2,000 years later, there are still so many uh, Jewish people who have not believed. And so this is an ongoing uh, conversation for us. It takes a new turn, reminds us some of, of some old things. But the question is posed in verse 1. If you will read with me, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul speaking to the church of Rome, I ask then, has God rejected His people? So, so this is the new question. What about the Jewish people? And, and so based on what he has been arguing about God's election, His purposes and salvation, faith and grace and all those different things, where does that leave us at this point? I ask then, has God rejected His people? Has God flat out just rejected the Jewish people? His answer is what? Absolutely not. All right, verse 1, a rhetorical question. There's an inference there. And, and, and a strong statement after, absolutely not. God has not rejected the Israel people. Why? Because I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people. What's the evidence? Paul speaking, I'm the evidence. Paul was a Jew. All the disciples, all the apostles were Jews. It's not that God rejected the entire people. All right, he's going to clarify some things as we go. But, but the, the ultimate statement, has God rejected Israel? The answer is no. God has not rejected His people, verse 2, whom He foreknew. So, we're going to mince and dice just a little bit. All right, Paul could have said in verse 2, God has not rejected His people, Period. But that's not what he said. He brings clarification to his statement. In the topic of rejection concerning Israel, he says in verse 2, God has not rejected His people, but He clarifies it. Who are His people? Whom He foreknew. And so we're going to bring together a couple different things that Paul has already argued. Those He foreknew speaks to God's elective purposes. Those He knew who would accept Him as Savior, those He knew who would respond to Him in faith, those He foreknew to be elected, to be chosen for salvation. He is not talking about the entire Israel, the entire Jewish race as a whole. He's talking about a specific segment of the Jewish race, those whom He what? Foreknew. Not all of them, but those He What's the answer, church? He foreknew. 
And so he's going, he's already talked about this at length. He's going to continue in this trajectory. But this is our first point. There's three points today. I got them on the screen for you first. God has not rejected his people. All right, that is, it's not a blanket statement. God does not reject his people. But the question then that he's setting up, well, then who are his people? And as we've seen already, his people are not just the Jews. Not anymore. It's the Jews plus a whole bunch of Gentiles. That it's, it's no longer solely about Israel. Instead, it's about God's church, who's made up of Jews and Gentiles. Yeah? So it's one big family called the church, and it's made up of all types of ethnicities. Yeah? All types of nationalities all colors, all languages, some. Not an outright rejection of every, not specifically an outright rejection of Israel, but it's made up of those whom he foreknew. The second point this morning, God has preserved a remnant. He has not rejected the entire race of Israel. Instead, number two, he has preserved a remnant. There is a remnant. It's not the whole. It's not the total. It's a part. It's the remnant. So read with me the second half of verse 2 all the way through 7. He continues, Don't you know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? So he points back to the Old Testament, the story of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. This is the northern kingdom. Uh, A couple summers ago, we spent the whole summer looking at the life of Elijah. For some of you, this is going to be hopefully familiar. But there was a point in Elijah's ministry where he hit the wall, where he experienced a very dark spot, a dark season, right? And and interestingly, it was after a, a very high season. This is after the big showdown on Mount Carmel, where he assembles all the different prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? And he says, you guys make your sacrifice and call down lightning on the sacrifice. If Baal is a real God, then Baal ought to be able to light this sacrifice on fire. They spend the whole morning, they spend the whole afternoon dancing around it, cutting themselves, pleading with their God, Baal, to light their carcass on fire. Do you remember the story? Nothing happens. What does Elijah do? He tells them to run down the mountain and bring up a whole bunch of barrels full of water. They douse his carcass with a whole bunch of water, right? What does Elijah do? He prays to the God of heaven and earth, the one God, Yahweh. And what does Yahweh do? Lights that carcass on fire. Remember the story? And then what does Elijah do? He calls out, round them all up. Round up all the prophets of Baal and do what, church? Kill them. Kill them all. Slaughter them. God's judgment on false worship. God's judgment on idolatry. God's judgment on sinful hearts who refuse to acknowledge the one true God. This this was awesome. Not like a teenager uses that word, right? But this was just awesome. Some seeing God's 
movement, right? In such a powerful way. Then, story's not done, right? Then, it hasn't rained for years. And what happens? There's a cloud. Elijah prays for rain, and guess what happens? On that same day, it starts raining in Israel for the first time in like seven years or something. I can't remember. Three and a half years, I'm bad with numbers. But it's in the Bible. You can read it later. And the waters come down. And there's a deluge. And there's water. And there's life. And it's all by the hand of Yahweh. Right? And so he comes off this incredible high. But then what? He receives word that Jezebel is out to kill him. And he freaks out. And he runs. And he flees. And he flees like right into depression. Right? And he just runs away. And he throws a pity party. And he's like, why God? Why God? And he's scared for his life. And he says, pleading with God against Israel, verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. After everything I did, alright, I did. I am the only one left and they are trained to take my life. You guys ever felt like that? Where the whole world's against you and, and, and you're in this like depressive, selfish state where it's just all about you and it's like I and I and I. I am the only one left. I'm the only one righteous. I'm the only one doing the right thing. You ever been there? And so what are you doing? You're judging everyone else, making assumptions about everyone else, feeling lonely, feeling beat up, self-pity. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. That second part might be true, but God calls them on the first part. He's not the only one left, right? What did God answer? And Paul asked the question, here's the answer. I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. Elijah, it's not about you. I know you feel that way, but guess what? It's not about you. And there's 7,000 others who have never, ever bent the knee to Baal. You're not alone. It's not all about you. You can't see through the fog of war. You can't see through your own depression. You can't see through the darkness. Let me help you out. I can see there are 7,000 others who have not bowed down to Baal. And then Paul says, listen, folks. In the same way, in the same way as Elijah and that story, there is also at present time a remnant chosen by grace. What, what about Israel? Guess what? Not all of them. Not all of them have believed. Listen up. Not all of them will believe. But there is a remnant. There is a remnant, and listen to the words at the present time, right now, all because of God's elective purposes. The last part here, a remnant chosen by grace. Not based on anything they have done, not anything that they merit. Because listen, the Jewish people merit nothing. 
Before you post that on YouTube or something that's not anti-Semitic, let me follow it up in context. Y'all merit nothing for God as well. Jew, Gentile alike, there is no merit. There is no favor. There's favor, I'm sorry. But there is nothing that you and I do to earn, to merit favor for salvation. Can I get an amen or not? It's not about DNA. It's not about color of skin. It's not about nationality. It's about God's, what are the words? Choosing by grace. Do you believe that? So, there twofold statement here. Okay? There's a remnant for Israel. Alright, one name, as we get into chap- the end of this chapter, we're going to see that there's going to come a time where there's going to be like a surge of belief when it comes to Israel, that a large proportion of Israelites will turn and see Jesus as Messiah. That's awesome. God's not finished with the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. But the other statement that I want you to grab a hold of today, not get all caught up in Israel and all that, but us, you, me, today, relevancy. There's a remnant of God's people in America, in Arizona, in chapter 11, in Peoria, in Glendale. There's a remnant who have been chosen by grace. Listen, not that they have chosen God. I'm going to lean into this. Because it's not about them choosing. It's about God choosing some. For His glory, no one else's. Because the equating word is grace. Nothing we do. And we can get all antsy about stuff. We can get antsy about Israel because in the 70s our preacher preached certain things. And in the 60s we read certain books about Israel. And then we can get antsy about life in the church today in America and life in our church today. But guys, the principle is still, it still holds. There's a remnant, let's put it this way, in the valley of the sun who have been chosen by grace. Do you realize that Phoenix, Arizona, I mean, okay, I planted the Way Fellowship Church 17 years ago, and the running statistics 17 years ago was that there was only a 6% evangelical presence in Phoenix. That's that's the six percent straight evangelical. Not no Catholics, definitely no Mormons, all the atheists, agnats, ag, whatever. Six percent only. I don't know what it is now with all the Californians coming in, though darn those Californians. Total joke. But everyone's transplanting and coming, you know, I, I don't know what it is now, but look, six percent. And of that six percent, who's legit, who's true? I don't know. But guys. Oh, I, I got to do some pastoral work here this morning on some of your hearts. Because some of you, you sheep, 
You've been scared. You've been nervous. You've been anxious because the, the, the seats aren't full. Because the bank's not full. I'm preaching at you. The sheep are nervous. But guess what? There was never a whole lot of you to begin with. Because it's not about you. It's about the Lord, as always. It's about His sovereign, elective. You don't like the word? I can't do anything about that. It's there. It's like the third, fourth sermon in a row, right? You guys keep showing up, though. In the same way, then, there is also, at the present time, a remnant chosen by grace. Look what he says, because there's still pushback in our hearts. It's still hard to wrap our mind around this. If by grace, then it's not by works. This is not Scott Gorley preaching, teaching his words, his ideas. They're not. We choose books of the Bible because the Spirit leads us. I didn't want to preach Romans. For 17 years, I put it off. And I knew when we got to chapters 9, 10, and 11, we were going to hit the wall with some folks. But look at God's Word. If by grace, then it's not by works. What is grace? Grace is grace. Like, we don't need to, like, manipulate and twist it and, like, figure it out and, like, try to work. It's just God's choice. It's just God's gift. Not works. Ephesians 2 8 9. Not works. And some of you are like, well, it's not work. But no, you equate thinking, you equate wisdom and intelligence and IQ and your own experience and your own personality, like, like as if that's not works. But it's God's work. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. Anytime we meddle in it and we twist it and we add things to it and we say, no, well, but, yeah, we have inserted something into grace. But folks, it's grace. If your child ends up in heaven, guess what? It's because of God's grace. That's some heavy stuff, right? That's some awesome Stuff. Your wife, your spouse, guess what? If she ends up in heaven, he ends up in heaven, guess what? It's only sola grace. I'm going to come back to this at the end. What then did Israel not find what it was looking for? What then? Question mark. I put them together. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. Searching, finding God. We try. Man tries. Man has certainly tried. All the way back to the ancients who built the ziggurats and tried to climb up to God. Man has been doing that ever since, trying to seek God. The problem is sin distorts our very thinking 
Sin distorts the very truth of reality, and we end up pursuing a God in our own image. Don't we? We go after the God that looks best. We go over the God that fits our wants and desires. And so we recreate God into our image, but the Bible teaches what? God, holy, separate, create, created, creation in His image. And He stands apart. And He can do whatever the heck He wants to do as the sovereign Lord of the universe. Israel did not find what it was looking for. And guys, guess what? No one apart from grace will ever find what they're looking for. Nibble on that. I don't expect you to like gobble it down in one bite, but nibble on it. Apart from grace, no one who's quote-unquote seeking the one true God will ever find Him. But the elect did find it. How's that possible? Because God chose. We talk about finding God. The reality is God finds us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Why? That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. How lost were you? But now I'm found. Was blind. How blind were you? But now I see. Number three. God has hardened the rest. The rest were hardened. Passive verb were, they didn't do it. Some, somehow they were hardened from the outside. Scholars will say this is divine passive. This is God's activity, not their own, outside themselves. They were hardened. I was slapped. I was kicked. I didn't kick myself. I didn't slap myself. Someone else slapped me. Someone else kicked me. They were hardened. Is it just a figure of speak? Is there any other poetry in this section? No. This is pretty literal language. For as it is written, he goes back to Scripture. We always interpret Scripture with Scripture. We always proof text our work, make sure that we're not reading it out of context. He proves it through other Scripture. This comes out of both Psalms, I believe, and Isaiah. No, Deuteronomy and Isaiah. God gave them. God did it. So here's the clarification. God does this. What a mean God. What an unjust God. I can't fathom a God, my God, doing this. Keep reading your Bible. Keep thinking about grace. But it says God gave them a spirit of stupor. What does that mean? Sleepiness. God gave them a a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. 
And David says, let their table become a snare. This is actually a command. It, it reads like a, a Joseph, but it's a command in the Greek. Let their table become a snare. Make their table a snare and a trap and a pitfall of retribution to them, a scandal. Let their eyes, again, a command, make their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs, another command, be bent continually. That they would fall in the trap, that they would be trapped, snared, that they would be darkened in their disbelief, that their backs would be bent continually. This is more poetic. It comes from Isaiah. Uh, No, this one comes from Psalm 35, I believe. Um, And the idea is, I think, just the weight of sin, the weight of separation from Creator. Three points this morning. God has not rejected His people. God has preserved a remnant. God has hardened the rest. It's a very uplifting sermon, isn't it? Why are you so passionate about it, Scott? I think it has direct bearing on where we're at as a church. I just do. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're in Romans and that we're here and that what we're going to be talking about tonight as a family. Our central truth is a remnant will always remain chosen by grace. So let me unpack this four different ways I believe we can apply this truth that we should think about this truth as it relates to you to us. It's either truth or it's not, or I've twisted it somehow. I don't think so. So what? Number one, when you try to make sense of Israel today, when you're reading the news report and you're seeing the next you know, news cycle of how many rockets were fired in Gaza and Hezbollah coming in from the north now and anything else that's going to alarm you, cause you anxiety and fear and even anger, guess what? Remember this truth that there's a remnant that remains with Israel. God's not done with them. And there are going to be many who have been chosen by grace and who will be your brothers and sisters in heaven one day. It's not about the whole nation, but it's about the remnant of Israel. God will use the whole nation for His glory and for His plans and for His purposes, but there's a remnant. If you want to pray for Israel, do so. But don't be alarmed at what's happening, it's all prophetic in one way or another. And at the end of it, as we get to the end of chapter 11, we're going to see there again, there's this this mass surplus of Jews who come to know the Lord as Messiah for the first time. And that even now as they fight, whatever they're fighting, there's a remnant there that have been chosen. Don't get worried about the geopolitical landscape of everything. Focus on the spiritual, what's most important. Number two, When you feel all alone and frustrated about a world that seems to be spinning out of control, anyone there? Whether it's this or that or this or this or next year's election cycle, once again, here we go. Guess what? 
if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're part of a remnant that will endure, that will persevere. This goes back to our teaching back in Revelation a summer ago, whatever. What's one of the main themes of Revelation? Those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will preserve, persevere. Be be preserved. And so no matter how bad it is out there, guys, take a deep breath. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of a remnant that will be preserved. Amen? That there's something better on the other side of glory than what we endure right now. There really is. There is something better on the other side of glory, better than the next family vacation you're planning. Better than the next party you're planning or the Christmas gifts you're thinking about getting your grandchildren. There's something better than the oppression, the persecution, the mockery, the ridicule, the scolding that you get at work or from a family member. Number three, when you allow the anxiety of the size of this church start to get to you. Stop. Just stop. There's a remnant. By grace, you have nothing to do with it. other than your obedience to get your butt out of the seat and evangelize. I just comments, comments here, there, and they affect me. This church could be full in two months' time if everyone would invite someone five times a week. 86% of people who come to church, this is the statistic over and over again, 86% of people who come to church have been invited by a friend. Are you a friend with any non-Christian out there? Listen, God's going to save His elect. Do you believe that? Yes or no? So he's either going to do it through you or through someone else. So if you want seats, go do the work. It's not me. You love my preaching, you keep great, fantastic. But you guys got to go out. I'm not nervous. I'm not anxious. I'm not scared about what God has planned for His church. I'm not. I am so excited, guys. That's why I want you here tonight. I am so excited about what the Lord has already planned and prepared for the Way Fellowship Church. But we got to get set on this. It's not about us, but it is. Matthew 9.37, Then Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest is abundant. Do you believe that? But 
The workers are few. Folks, if, if the doctrine of election is true, okay, if, your choice, I guess, but if it's true, then there are people out there who have been chosen to be saved. All you need to do is go tell them the gospel. And it's a light, it's like that parable. It's just throwing seed out. That's all, that's all we're responsible for. Throwing the seed. If it sticks, praise God. But guess what? Most of it ain't going to stick. But none of it will ever stick if we don't go out there and sprinkle it. So at the end of the day, it's just about obedience. And I'm going to start right here. No, I want you to start right here. Just go make a friend with a non-Christian for crying out loud. Step one, just go make a friend with a non-Christian. Because as your pastor, I suspect there are many in this church who do not have any non-Christian friends. And you wonder why. Jesus said, go make disciples. He did not tell that to the pastors of the church. He said, go make disciples to his current disciples. Guess what? We're all his current disciples. Question of choice. Our choice. Here's our choice. You want a choice? Here's your choice. We can choose to go make disciples. Last thing. If you're sitting here this morning wondering why the heck you came into this church, if you're sitting here this morning wondering who is God, does God really love me? If maybe this past week you've had a real bad week, maybe you've done something or something real bad has happened to you, and you're sitting here wondering what the heck does any of this have to do with me, listen carefully. If you're wondering if God really loves me, then guess what? There's a remnant chosen by grace. If you're here this morning and you have put your in the Lord Jesus Christ and some kind of miracle happened and you're not maybe aware of it, but you're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ showing up this morning is testimony to this remnant. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of that remnant and you've been chosen by grace. And the answer is yes, God loves you dearly. So much so that He sent his son to die for you. That before you ever, quote unquote, chose him, he chose you and he chose to come down from heaven and to live in this broken, messed up world. He chose to endure the fiercest of critics, persecutions, slander, so much so that he allowed himself to be tacked up on a cross and crucified. That's how much He loves you. That He came and He died for you because He chose you. And then He rose, He conquered death, He conquered sin, He conquered the great divide that used to exist between you and Him. If you put your faith in Him, there is salvation. If you put your faith in Him, you become part of His family. Your sins are forgiven. And you now can have relationship with your Creator for the first time. He did this. He does this. He will do this. If you're wondering, am I loved? 
If you're here this morning, hear the gospel message. You are loved so much because He came and He died for you. And if you're hearing that message for the first time, say yes. Accept His love. Accept the truth that He's talking to you this morning because He wants you to know He chose you. He chose you so much He died for you. Will you choose Him in response? And brother and sister, if you're struggling once again just with shame and guilt, don't let the enemy beat you up. Repent. Ask for forgiveness again. But go to the Lord. And remember, He loved you so much that He chose you. If He chose you, He's not going to reject you now. Do you believe that? If He went to all that work, He's not going to just throw you away, discard you now. He loves you so much. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, we're told that Your Word is like a double-edged sword that cuts deep, that it divides bone and marrow and ligaments, and it separates truth from fiction. It separates lies from truth. And Lord, this morning, I ask that You would help us to receive Your truth. Lord, to accept Your truth. Holy Spirit, that in your grace you would open our eyes to see the things that you see. Lord, to illuminate our eyes so that we're no longer blind and we see just how much you love us. Lord, how real, like what grace is, what grace truly is. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never experienced that grace fully, that today would be the day that they say yes to You. That in Your speaking through Your Word, it's a sign, it's an action of Your activity to love them and to call them to Yourself. And that, Holy Spirit, You would give them new life and faith to believe and to step out and receive You, Lord, to choose You as You choose them. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here today who have been struggling with the world, with the weightiness of sin, Lord, even the fear of past hurts. Lord, bind us together in Your truth. Lord, bind us in unity, in the unity of Your truth. That You are Savior. Lord, that the pastor or pastors aren't Savior, that we're not Savior, that the leaders, the staff aren't Savior, like your Savior. That either you have the power or you don't. If you don't, we should just give up, quit, and stop believing. But Lord, in your grace, help our unbelief. Lord, in your grace, fill us with faith to believe that you are mighty and you are powerful to save. Convict us of what we need to repent of, Convict us of how we have not been trusting you enough. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Holy Spirit, the good work that you have begun and that you continue to do, help us to trust in your work right now. 
where Pastor Kyle said that the gospel is a lion that just needs to be released. Lord, help us to believe that and help us in faith just to proclaim the gospel as we go about our days, believing that it's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that saves. It's you that saves. Lord, we ask this in your name. May the name of Jesus Christ be exalted in our mind and our heart this morning. We ask this in his name. And everybody said, Amen.